This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Very shortly, President Trump will be meeting with a variety of retail CEOs at the White House. This is an industry that's going through some uh, pretty hard times right now because of the shift in the needs of the consumer. But one focal point in those conversations will most likely be the possibility of a border adjustment tax, which has been a very important and hot topic of discussion in the last couple of weeks. To look further at this idea and if it would be effective, We welcome in Ann Harrison, professor of multinational management and of business economics and public policy uh, here at the Wharton School. And also joining us, Michael Knoll, co-director of the Center for Tax Law and Policy here at Wharton as well. Uh, Michael, great to see you again. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Thank Thank you. you. And great to have you joining us today. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Uh, I I guess, uh, Michael, let's start with with the idea of the border adjustment tax, because it's been in the news so often lately, but probably there are a lot of people out there that don't have a a full grip on exactly what it is and, and how it would actually come into play. Well, the most important part of the tax proposal would make exports not taxable and imports not deductible. So a company that brings products in and then maybe uses them to produce a final good that it exports, wouldn't get a deduction any longer, which it does currently, Mm -hmm. for the products that it brings in. But on the other hand, it wouldn't have to pay any tax uh, or get effectively a deduction for when it exports goods. That's a radical change on both the export and the import side and uh, would likely have significant effects throughout the economy. So uh, how much does that, do you think, affect the overall balance uh, of a corporation in terms of, because as you lay that out, as you just said it, it seems like, you know, you're giving one to get the other. Right. But many companies are much more on one side or the other side of it. So the retailers who've been especially upset are overwhelmingly bringing goods in which they're selling. And so they would expect their cost of goods to go up markedly, at least on an after-tax basis, because they wouldn't get to deduct any of that expense. A lot of the retailers that like may make shirts over in China or Japan. Absolutely. Yeah. And tech companies, uh, many of which are um, GEs, another example, are big exporters. They export much more than they import, and they would expect to have perhaps some cases, no or even negative tax liabilities. And obviously a lot of the conversation now is whether or not this would actually uh, actually happen, actually, you know, uh, be able to pass Congress. And that seemingly is uh, is one of, I guess, the big hurdles right now. A lot of the suggestions are that this may not even, you know, get past Congress at this point. Yeah, well, I think that's uh, – Honestly, I think it's unlikely that it's going to pass because it's such a radical change from our current tax code. And it's true that a lot of retailers like a Walmart and also energy importers, oil importers, think that this could increase the prices of imports as much as 20 percent. And so they're against it. Plus the fact that Trump's a bit confused by the whole thing and thinks it's too complicated so I think that this border tax idea has uh, got a big uphill battle. Is the idea, though, behind it, is it one that maybe has some value or just it, because of the impact on some of these companies in your mind, it's just not something that would be feasible to, to try and even put into play? So I think 
the the original idea, which came from the concept of a value-added tax, is a good one because, in theory, if it's actually done correctly, it it should be neutral in the sense that it it, it doesn't favor one group or another. But the actual version that's being presented in con- Congress is actually quite protectionist right. because it allows you to essentially when you hire a domestic employee, it's going to be cheaper than if you actually imported that. Um, So that protectionist component is different from the basic idea of a VAT and is, even though it could be appealing uh, to the president's agenda of, of supporting a more protectionist stance, I really don't think it's going to fly. Certainly, wouldn't fly internationally with the WTO. Michael, okay, yeah, um, a couple of things. One is, I think one of the major impetuses for this, at least among the academics who've been proposing it, is to address some problems with our current corporate tax system, which is an utter mess in the way it encourages companies to flee the United States, it encourages them to shift income outside the United States, and it also discourages production in the United States. And so the design for this tax was meant to sort of respond to some of those problems and to eliminate Uh, some of those sorts of concerns by essentially taxing consumption where it takes place. Now, the means for doing so is pretty complicated, and aspects of of the tax do have elements that look either protectionist or mercantilist. But I suspect the proponents of the tax would argue that putting it all together, it's really not all that different from the way uh, a VAT works in Europe combined mm-hmm. with roughly a corporate tax. And so that's their sort of argument in favor of it, that we're sort of catching up with the others. Now, it's right. a dramatic change overnight. And if it has the effect it's expected to have sort of directly, it has one set of effects which you know, radically change production. Production costs are quite disruptive. Alternatively, if it doesn't have that effect because the dollar shifts, that is, the dollar is supposed to rise, that will eliminate a lot of these aimed benefits, but will also produce other large-scale effects. And and how many Mm -hmm. countries uh, are doing this, doing a a version of a border tax uh, right now? I mean, obviously, I, I think there are probably several that are, correct? Yeah, so a, a lot of European countries uh, have value-added taxes. Uh, China has a value-added tax. Many countries do have value-added tax. So it's certainly not unprecedented. Um, and in theory, it's a good idea. This particular version does discriminate against imports in a way that, say, the French value-added tax does not. And so... Uh, if they kept the good parts without this discriminating part, then then I think it, it could pass muster globally. Well, what is the impact on, on a place like France of having uh, some sort of value-added tax like that? What's been the in- impact on their economy over over the last several years? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. I actually don't know the answer to that. Okay. Michael? Yeah, I mean, I don't either, but they've had one for a long time. And one thing to keep in mind is what would happen here is if this went through as 
described by the, uh, the House, this would be, in essence, a 20% value-added tax okay. coming in overnight. Right. That's an awfully high value-added tax. And, and not phasing it in over the period of a year or two. Or, or, well, or even many years because yeah. one would have to – I mean, a lot of the world is in dollars. Yeah. And if we get the currency change that we're expected to get, then all of our – all U.S. people who have foreign assets will find those assets effectively devalued. All non-U.S. people who hold U.S. or dollar-denominated assets yeah. will have those valued up. And the liabilities that are in dollars, which many countries have, will also go up. So there is a lot of potential disruption from putting this system in over overnight. That happens in large part because the United States and the dollar are so important in the economy. And then so the, the impact on the global economy becomes potentially what? Quite quite significant and quite negative for many countries whose debts are significant and are yeah. denominated in dollars. And Not just that, but on the trade mm. side, what that would mean is that a lot of countries exporting to the United States, suddenly whatever we're buying is 20% more expensive. And so it would definitely reduce our imports in the short run. So all these countries exporting to U.S. would not be happy about it. Um, so that is one issue. And there could potentially be retaliatory measures um, of other countries trying to block our exports. We're joined on the phone by uh, Ann Harrison uh, of the Wharton School, Professor of Multinational Management and Business Economics and Public Policy. Michael Knoll of the University of Pennsylvania Law School, co-director of the Center for Tax Law and Policy. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. If you can't get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at bizradio111, B-I-Z radio 111, or you can use my Twitter account, which is at danloney twenty one. Uh, you can check us out uh, either uh, location right there. So uh, let's, I mean, so much of the conversation, Michael, seems right now that as this is, it's not going to be able to pass the Congress. If you were to have something like this not pass, but still have the tax rate cut that obviously has been discussed as well, do those two play in kind of in in in, uh, in sync with one another? If even if they are not both put into play, I mean, I think you're right at the moment that one of the aspects of the border adjustment, which the tax writers find so attractive, is that it raises a lot of money because our exports are far smaller than our imports. So since we're taxing in effect the imports and not the exports. We're going to collect a fair amount of revenue, and I think it's a trillion dollars over 10 years is the estimate. That's, yeah, Kevin Brady and, said that the other day, yeah. And I think the writers think they need that to uh, match the budget. We're already running large deficits. The deficit is expected to continue to grow. And if one wants to bring down tax rates or tax burdens, one's going to have to make up the money unless the Republicans – are ready, and they probably will need Democratic support, and I don't see that happening, to cut, in essence, taxes, increase the deficit further with the hope of 
growing out of it tends to be the argument. And you touched on it a, a second ago, and I think it's important to bring it back, is, is the fact that, you know, the impact that this could have with other countries around the world and, and the impact that the U.S. could feel coming back at it, it, it has the potential to be a significant issue. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can understand why the, the, uh, the, those who wrote the bill think this is important, because they, they want to lower our corporate, the corporate tax rate from 35% to 25% or even 20 That's a big hit to government revenues, even if a lot of companies are really excited about the prospect. And so they need to find a way to finance it. And taxing imports at the rate of 20% would definitely make up the shortfall. On the other hand, uh, a lot of a lot of uh, countries around the world could get very angry, um, and they could then try to hit us back. And so this could escalate, absolutely. And that is a major concern um, about this this uh, border adjustment tax, the way it's been designed. Well, I, I, go ahead, Michael. Yeah, no, I, I would very much agree with that. The, the World Trade Organization basically the successor organization to the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, which since World War II has set the ground rules for international economics and trade, um, tries to prevent countries from engaging in all kinds of beggar-thy-neighbor, protectionist, mercantilist policies. And one of the restrictions is you can't have an export subsidy. And there's a specific carve-out for value-added taxes, that allows value-added taxes with border adjustments not to be deemed export subsidies. But that's the limit of that limitation. And so, though the argument is made, maybe our tax is similar, this proposed tax is similar, it doesn't, I don't see how that argument works in terms of the language of the WTO agreement. And so, there will be a, I assume there would be a panel that, I mean, I suspect the first retaliation would be to claim it violates the WTO. Right. Yeah. They will panel um, panel that will decide the case, and I don't see any way the U.S. is going to win that matter. Uh, we can't uh, prevent it from going through nowadays the way it works. There's no unanimity requirement. Yeah. Um, that will allow other countries to retaliate. It doesn't necessarily make sense for them to do so as a policy, but it's very likely to happen. It isolates the U.S. And so so that is the way I see this taking place if we were to go ahead. And that would be unfortunate. And I, I just want, um, maybe for our listeners, I just wanted to highlight one difference between this proposal and uh, what our president has been proposing. He's been proposing really selective measures to uh, address what he sees as unfair global competition by specific right. countries like a Mexico or a China. This border tax adjustment would apply to all countries and all goods. It's like a sales tax that you apply not just at home, but also on any goods coming into the country. So it's a much more uh, dramatic and massive proposal. Um, And my guess is that's part of the reason why President Trump is, is afraid of it. 
844-942-7866 is the number if you'd like to join in. We're talking about the potential of a border adjustment tax here in the United States. We're joined by Ann Harrison of the Wharton School, Michael Knoll of the University of Pennsylvania Law School, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, you can't get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at bizradio, B-I-Z radio 111, or you can use my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Going back to the difference on the on the the, the tax rate, which uh, Ann brought up, the amount of money that would obviously be uh, curtailed in terms of going from a thirty five percent tax rate down to twenty five or twenty percent tax rate, you couldn't probably make that up with a border with a border tax, could you? Well, in many ways, the number is a little surprising for the U.S. Our tax rate in corporations is very high, but we don't collect a ton of taxes with it because the base is in some ways so narrow. There's so many exceptions, rapid depreciation and other things. So some of that could be made up with um, broadening the base. And one of the big base broadeners the proposal is to eliminate the interest deduction. For and so a lot, a lot of companies are probably not paying the 35%, but they may be paying 26 27%, something in that realm. And there's a lot of variation, too. So a lot of companies that have a lot of foreign operations may pay a good bit lower than that, Yeah. whereas those that are purely domestic tend to often be pretty close to that 35%. The reaction, and from probably a lot of corporations, I would think, as I mentioned at the top, uh, this is going to be probably a hot topic with, with the retail sector coming up this week, especially, as I mentioned before, with so many companies that out, uh, that, that produce a lot of materials outside the United States. I, I would think that the president is going to get a little bit of an earful coming up uh, later this week. Yeah, so you could imagine retailers, uh, big ones like Walmart that import pretty much everything. And also the small guys, right? So the small guys um, are, are, are also going to be pretty worried about that. On the other hand, you can see how there are going to be some groups that, that, that really like this idea. In particular, um, uh, the president's uh, voting base that wants to see him take action against what they see as unfair global competition might find this quite appealing, and I think that's why the, the House Republicans are are kind of excited about the possibility that this could go through if it is partly perceived as a a, a response on the on the protection agenda. And, and note, um, it's interesting that just in the last day or two, right, the administration came up with a new way of figuring out the trade deficit which right. tends to yeah. by uh, yeah. how they're counting goods that come into the United States and then get exported. The argument is that what they're doing, they're counting what comes into the U.S. as being imported, but what we just bring in and just ship out, not as exported. So raising the apparent size of the trade deficit and trying to increase support for taking some steps. To try and lower to it. To try and to they, lower it. Yeah. 844-942-7866 is the number, or on Twitter, at BizRadio111, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. What was it that, that actually kind of spurred that move to, to try and trade, or I should say, change that kind of philosophy on, on how you view the trade deficit? 
Well, I, I don't think it was trying to make it an economically more accurate number. Unfortunately, I tend to think it was done for reasons to sort of strengthen a case, and the case is that we need to do something to reduce the deficit. Yeah. Anne? Mm. Yes, I, I would tend to agree with Michael. What is it then that we should probably expect uh, from uh, the meetings later this week? I mean, as you uh, alluded to before, this version of it probably is going to have a hard time. But as you alluded to, if there were some changes made to this plan, uh, it could be more appealing and something that could be beneficial uh, to the United States and to its economy, Ann. Well, I mean, just from a practical perspective, if if Instead, we move to a real value-added tax like the the Europeans have, where we don't where we don't do kind of crazy things like uh, like offset payroll. Um, then it would be much more likely to be acceptable to the the the, the global the rest of you know our players. So that would be one way. Another thing to do would be to possibly be less ambitious and focus more on the on certain aspects of the bill like the fact that uh, a lot of companies are not bringing money back because they're taxed on their global um, earnings instead of the local ones so there are other there are like bits and pieces that could be uh, at least in the short run that could be taken into account or adopted. Um, or it could be changed to make it more compatible with the European VAT. Michael? Right. Um, though for the Republicans, a VAT is a four-letter word. <laughs> and um, so there's a bit of – and also the Trump team isn't yet in place on the economic side. They really have very little um, appointed yet. And so – I do think there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of agreement that the current system is in need of reform. Yeah. And though there's also a sense that now at least is a reasonable time, though I think people may be getting the feeling that the window is closing a little bit, to really have significant reform in our, our tax system. Um, and how all that plays out remains to be seen. But I would agree with Anne. There's certainly opportunities and will be, I think, for some time to do something smaller. And once we've got a team in place, I think um, some negotiations over maybe something wider. But it, it's it, it truly is a case where it's a process. And obviously the perception of of the fact that, you know, it feels like, you know, you're trying to do everything in a one month span and just have it, you know, kind of move forward. It's it's something that can't play out. I mean, this is something that has to kind of play out over several months and several years as well to be able to actually be able to put a system in place that that truly works and, and fits everybody's needs. But there's also something to be said for doing it comprehensively. Yeah. Um, that's sort of important to get. So people will lose out in one piece, hopefully will gain on some other piece. Um, that was at least the logic behind 86, which was the last major tax reform. It didn't last. Right. But it was a significant change. And I think there's good reason to try to somehow do it all together if there can be some, some agreement on to what that is. Dan, would you agree with that? I mean, it, 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 yeah, I would totally agree with that. Yeah. I think right now the concern is that 
there's only going to be one part that's going to be easy to get support for, which is the reduction in the at least the official corporate tax rate. Right. Um, although Michael's right, there's so many loopholes that'll even though it's a high rate on paper, a lot of larger companies at least don't pay, but the smaller guys probably do. And again, they're discriminated against. But um, the bad news would be if the only part people can agree on is lowering the corporate tax rate. Uh, and maybe imposing an import tariff, right, then we're in a bad position because the little guy who, who uh, is essentially doesn't benefit at all from these lower corporate tax rates but might end up paying a lot more for, for goods at the store. Um, so that's why uh, a partial adoption could really hurt the very individuals that that um, that were targeted in the swing state. Yeah, and that's something we really didn't even touch on a lot is the fact that the consumer, most likely in the end, and is the one that's going to feel the pinch on this uh, at some point down the road. There's there's not much question about that. That's kind of the pattern of how things work to begin with. Yeah, and just just think about it. Think about if uh, if, for example, you had to pay twenty percent more for imported energy. Then all those rural voters who who really rely on cheaper gas, they're they're the ones who are really going to feel the the effects. Right, and and again, this goes back to: is there going to if there is that border adjustment, is there going to be the currency adjustment that offsets it or right. not? And that is up in the air. Uh, there's no good empirical evidence, really, one way or another, to answer that incredibly important question here. Great to have you both joining us. Thank you, Ann. All the best. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Great to see you again. Thank you for coming in. Thank you. Great to have you here. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.